This sermon, Magnifying God with Gratitude, was preached by Derek Overstreet on Sunday, November 27, 2022 at Sovereign Grace Church. Envision yourself sitting in your community group this week. And your leader asks you this. How are you currently magnifying God through your life? How is the grace of God evident in your life in terms of magnifying your Savior. Now, imagine having pushed through the awkward crickets, right, that every community group, doesn't matter how how good of a group it is, the awkward crickets are there. Imagine having pushed through those, how would you answer? You're up. You're next in line. What would you share? Grace in giving to your church? Serving in your church or those in your neighborhood, perhaps someone in need. Perhaps you would answer as a husband, a father, my leadership in the home, I believe, has been exalting and magnifying the Lord lately. Or maybe it's complimenting for the wives in the room. Would it be prayer and Bible reading, your time in God's Word and your time of communion with Him? Would it be courage from the Spirit to step out and be bold and push through that pain line of evangelism and sharing Christ? Perhaps that would be your answer to how you're currently currently magnifying the Lord. Perhaps it's through stewardship of an opportunity. Perhaps it's through... Godly sacrifice. Spirit would speak to us. Whatever you did worked. Thank you, sound team. My hope today is that the Lord would speak to us and work in us in such a way that we could all say, and that those around us could say about us, My life increasingly magnifies the Lord because by his grace, my life is increasingly characterized by thankfulness to him in everything and for everything. If you haven't figured out by now, we're taking a little break from our Acts series today to talk about Thanksgiving. And actually, this is a bit of a a bridge between Acts and our Christmas series as well. We will begin that next week. Who Would Have Dreamed is the title. It's a five-part celebration of Christmas from Genesis and Isaiah and Revelation and the Gospel of Luke. But today we're going to kick off with Thanksgiving from Psalm 69. And so With your Bibles turned there, stand with me. We're going to limit ourselves this morning. We're not going to read the entire psalm, but we'll look at verses 30 through 32 together as we talk about magnifying God with gratitude. The psalmist writes in verse 30, he says, 
I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This, this will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hooves. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. Maybe seated, let's pray. Lord, this is your word, and we ask that your spirit would cause it to transform our hearts. Lord, my, we pray that it, and ask that it would renew our minds, transform our hearts, and cause us to live differently. Lord, only you can do that work, and so that's what we ask of you this morning. Lord, the words on this pulpit remind me of what our goal is today. Jesus, we, or, or preacher, we want to see Jesus. Lord, help us to do that. Help me to show your son as beautiful from your word. Help us all to leave here less aware of ourselves and more aware of who our Savior is and what he's done for us, that we might truly live with grateful hearts. Lord, we also ask and pray for those on this long weekend that are traveling. Be with them. Give them great memories. Get them back to us safely. Be with many of those who aren't here because they are at home sick, perhaps watching on. May their sickness not detract from glory in you this morning through the preaching of your word. Be merciful to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in Psalm 69, we encounter a deeply troubled man. In verses 1 through 3, we didn't read the entire text, but in verses 1 through 3, David, who is the author of this psalm, he reveals that his life is, if you will, a vast sea of troubles. That, that's the first few verses. That's what you walk away. And they have left him floundering in turmoil. They have left him floundering internally, struggling in verses 4 through 6, he, he acknowledges in his struggle, in his pain, that it is in part due to his own sin. But he also recognizes that there are those who are piling on him. He recognizes in verses 13 through 21 that there is an injustice that he is experiencing. And so in 13 through 21, David desperately cries out to God to deliver him out of the hands of his enemies who are piling on in his time of reproach and suffering. And then in verses 22 through 39, we see David's zeal for the Lord. We see his zeal for the character of God and his people demonstrated in his calls for the Lord to bring justice by judging his enemies. In a sense, David in these verses calls, calls out a curse on his enemies. It's confusing, perplexing to the believer today. That the saints in the Old Testament would call down fire upon their 
enemies. That's a whole nother sermon, but for this moment, on this side of the cross, we have a new way to deal with our enemies, don't we? 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 19 through 20 says that we, in Christ, we have become ambassadors with the message of reconciliation. We don't call down a curse on our enemies. We call our enemies to look to the cross. And then we have verse 29, which really helps us with the context. Notice what David says. He does not mince words. He says, I am afflicted and in pain. Now, before we go any further, I just want to acknowledge that that could be some here this morning, even on a Thanksgiving weekend that's meant to be celebratory with family and friends. Has it been a difficult Thanksgiving for you this year? Are you struggling to see God's goodness and mercies in your life this Thanksgiving? If you're honest, you would say, Pastor, I feel like David today. Verse 29 is me. My life is filled with pain and affliction. Well, without sounding trite, let me tell you, God is at work. God is at work. We know this. His ways are not our ways, but he's doing 10,000 things, and we may know two of them. God is at work in your life. You might not see it, but he is at work. And I want to invite all of us, but you in particular, to join David as a man in his pain and affliction, now in this psalm, turns his eyes upwards, away from his affliction, away from his pain, to the God, notice the end of verse 39, to the God of his salvation where we are about to see his shame and sorrow, though his circumstances have not changed, give way to praises and thanksgiving to the Lord. The first point that I want to draw from this psalm this morning is that there is a clear call to magnify God for his people. Notice in verse 30. Remember, this is a man who is afflicted and in pain. And yet in verse 30, he says, I will praise the name of God with a song. And then he says this, I will magnify him, that same God, with thanksgiving. David reminds us of what every Christian is called to here, to magnify the Lord through their life. Even in the midst of pain and affliction, with resolve from the Holy Spirit, David says, I will magnify the God of my salvation. Now that word magnify provides some great imagery. And I remember learning it from John Piper uh, this might, if you're familiar with John Piper, it might be familiar to you. But, but I remember uh, hearing John Piper explain two ways that we can magnify something. One is with a microscope, right? 
who took, who was good in biology. Uh, I was not good in biology. I probably broke more microscopes than I actually used the way they were supposed to be used. But, but just think about that microscope. What, a microscope or, or even a, uh, or even a uh, what do you call those, magnifying glass, right? The, those magnify something by, take, by making something that is very, very small, oftentimes unseen by the human eye. And a microscope makes that thing that is very, very small seem much bigger than it actually is, right? That's what a microscope does. Whatever you put under a microscope, suddenly it seems much bigger than it actually is. I put on these glasses, and suddenly these letters on on the pages of my Bible seem much bigger than they actually are. Thank God for the gift of magnification. That's a microscope, right? That's what a microscope does. A microscope takes something very small and makes it seem much larger than it appears. But there's another way to magnify things, and that's with a telescope, right? The second way we magnify something is with a telescope. A telescope does what? A telescope makes something that seems small begin to look as big as it truly is, as big as it actually is. The biggest telescopes in the world, right? The biggest telescopes in the world take the universes that God created that we cannot see and puts them right here. Have you ever seen those, those pictures? Suddenly, suddenly what we can't see with our eyes begins to look as big as it really is. A telescope puts it right in front of us. What David here wants to be not a microscope, but a telescope. He wants to be a telescope that brings God right into the midst of his pain and his affliction. He doesn't magnify his affliction. He doesn't magnify his pain. He talks about it. It's okay to talk about our our sorrows and our sufferings, but he doesn't magnify. That would be to magnify himself, wouldn't it? No, instead, David, David's heart is to magnify his Redeemer. Verse 29, the God of his salvation. And David's heart should be our hearts. We, too, are called to be telescopes, if you will. Our lives are meant to magnify God to make him to, 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 to make him seem to be as big as he truly is in our lives, to one another, and to the world around us that, as we heard this morning, is parched and dry and is looking to be amazed by something. We're called, like Paul, to be human telescopes magnifying the Lord through our lives. And if you think about it, Paul would share this with David, wouldn't he? 
Paul really, uh, a, a man who lived in much distress, a man who experienced much persecution. Just think about the book of Philippians, where Paul, under arrest, not sure if the rising of the sun would bring his execution, not sure if he would ever be able to visit another one of the churches that he loved so dearly, not sure how the gospel would advance and move forward. And yet, in Philippians 1.20, he writes to the church in Philippi, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored. The King James Version says, magnified in my body, through my life. There he sits in affliction and pain, different but the same as David, not knowing what the next day holds, not knowing how many more days he will see. All he knows is that people are out to get him. He knows injustice. He knows persecution. And yet, Paul says, oh, only that this would be, that my life would magnify the Lord. Is this idea of magnifying God not what Paul meant when he wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10? So whether you eat or drink, you know this verse. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You, you, you could just say, do all to magnify the Lord. Do all to exalt his glory. If you've been saved by grace today, if you're in union with Jesus by faith today, if the spirit of God lives and dwells in you mightily today, if by divine mercy like we sang earlier, you belong to the eternal family of God, then, then your heart along with my heart should say with Paul and with David, magnify the Lord, O oh my soul. That's what we're called to. That's what the Lord gives us the grace to do. That's the fruit of who we are in Christ Jesus. Now listen, if you're like me, <laughs> uh, you're forgetful. We are, aren't we? So easy to forget who God is and why we exist. It's so easy to forget what, what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, right? Uh, my feelings, my experiences, my ambitions, my, my sinful cravings, especially the secret ones, the deceptions of my own heart, they all move me not to magnify the Lord, but to magnify myself, don't they? To magnify myself. And it, it's crazy, right? Because, because I can marvel in the goodness and the sufficiency and the glory of God one day and then get up the next day and completely forget about it, oblivious to it throughout the entire day. Just living for myself. If you're a parent, it's like, you know, your kid comes home and 
oh, good grades or whatever it is that gets you excited about your kid. And, oh, man, I, great job, and I love you, son. And, and, then, and then the very next moment, have a sense of, what did you do? I'm going to kill you. Right? We can live that way with the Lord. One moment, we are marveling and wandering at his beauty and glory and mercy and generosity. And the next moment, we're, we're groveling. We're complaining. We're angry with God. So easy. Spiritually speaking, our, our minds are forgetful. Our hearts are fickle. And our perspective is so easily distorted. I think this is, I think this reality, this, this reality that, that really when you think about that, that all leads to self-magnification, self-exaltation. And I think this reality is one that Paul understood. And turn for a minute to Ephesians 1. I think that's one of the reasons why he wrote what he did, uh, or, or that he prayed, really, the way he did for the Ephesians church. In Ephesians 1, spend some time in this prayer this week if you haven't spent much. But in Ephesians 1, listen to how Paul prays for the believers in Ephesus. Beginning in verse 15, he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And then he says this, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having, and then there's this threefold request, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. You want to pray for me? Pray that for me. <laughs> Paul prays that they would have the eyes of their hearts enlightened, that these, now remember, these are believers. They've already had the eyes of their hearts enlightened to everything that Paul just prayed the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened too. So what is Paul doing? He is not doubting their salvation, but he knows how forgetful we are. He knows how fickle our hearts can be, and he doesn't want them or us to forget who God is and who we are in Christ. He wants them to be more and more anchored in the hope that they have in Christ. He wants them to be more and more anchored in the reality of the riches of his inheritance and the immeasurable power of the Spirit at work in them, especially when life seems to only be filled with affliction and pain. In other words, Paul here to the Ephesians says, preach the gospel to yourself 
Christian. Don't forget what God is like and what he has done for you that is yours in Jesus Christ. Or in the words of David, set your eyes on the God of your salvation. That prayer, that prayer that Paul has should be our prayer for ourselves, one another, and our church. Because that prayer is the key to being a telescope that magnifies the Lord. And that's what we're called to be in both good times and bad times, in triumph and tragedy, magnifying the Lord so people will see how great God truly is. But when we magnify ourselves, we show God to be very small, don't we? So this is our call, like David to be human telescopes magnifying the Lord. So how do we do that? What kind of heart magnifies God? Well, thank God that it's in the text. (laughs) We don't have to figure it out. It's right there in black and white. Isn't God good (laughs) to call us to something and then not tell us, go figure it out? Notice what he says in verse 30 again. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him. Wait for it. Here it comes. How? With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. This is our second point this morning. We're called to magnify God, and we do that with a heart of thanksgiving. A heart that magnifies God is a heart of thanksgiving toward God. Don't you love how clear David is? Gratitude magnifies God. It's not just a a great platitude. It's not just something to teach your kids so that they will make you look really good. It's not just common courtesy. Gratitude, living thankfully, magnifies God. A heart of thanksgiving. And given the context of Psalm 69, let's not lose sight of that. We can faithfully say, especially in pain and affliction, magnifies God. How could it not? Just, just, just for a moment. Who would look at I mean, if everything's going great for David, then the world around him understands. Okay, great. He thinks it's all from God. Let him give thanksgiving to God. David is in pain and affliction, and that's perplexing to the world around him, and it's perplexing to the world around us that in pain, in affliction, in sorrow, in suffering, in difficult times, that we can live in a way that subordinates and says there is something more at work in my life. I am not defined by the circumstances that I am experiencing. The things that you see happening to me do not define me. They may, they, they, they may have influence, but they are not determinative. The God of my salvation is determinative. And though my circumstances may change, my God is unchanging. 
So David is clear. A, a thankful person is a human telescope showing God to be as big as he truly is. A grateful heart magnifies God. Now, now how is that? Well, I think the answer is found in the next verse. Notice what it says in verse 31. He says, this will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoofs. Huh. Well, that's weird. It's hard for us to relate to the Old Testament sacrificial system of worship. But just a couple quick notes. An ox or a bull, well, that was a valuable and expensive animal. To, to, to offer one in sacrifice to God was a big deal. In fact, for those who couldn't afford it, they could bring a pigeon. That was okay. But to sacrifice an ox or a bull, that was valuable. And it would be very easy for one to bring that sacrifice with a proud heart. Look what I've done for God. Look what I've given up for Yahweh. It would be easy to to have a sense, even if only internally, that, that somehow this valuable sacrifice enriched God, that somehow it, it provided for God. And I think we can say that because flip over to Psalm 50 and, and notice, notice the similarities here. Psalm 50, notice what it says in verse 8. Verse 8, not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. And then he says this, but I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the word and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Look what he says. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. and Perform your vows to the most high. Did you see what's being said here? God is not rebuking Israel for their sacrifice and offerings. He's rebuking them for their pride and their arrogance in which they offer them. They come to God as if they are the generous giver and he is the needy recipient. This is why he says in verses 10 to I don't need anything from you. If I was hungry, I wouldn't ask you. Get this straight. All of this, including what you have brought me here, it's all mine, Anyway, so this idea that your sacrifice enriches me, that it somehow provides for me, turn away from your proud and arrogant heart. 
Give me a sacrifice of thanksgiving, for I'm the God of everything. Do you see that? So that Psalm 50 actually ends in verse 23. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice, what? Glorifies me. Magnifies me. Now let's just consider this for a moment in human terms to try and get a little bit of a better grasp on this. When someone gives you something or does something for you, your expressed thankfulness does what? It recognizes that that person is the giver, (laughs) right? And you are the receiver, right? In a sense, in that sense, it it magnifies that person. Oh, (laughs) thank you. You didn't have to do this. You are so kind. What a blessing you are to me. Right? When, when, we, when we thank people, that there's a sense in which, which the, our compliments uh, recognize them, magnify them as the giver, and we are the receiver. And in that transaction, it's the giver, not the receiver, that's highlighted. It's the giver, not the receiver, that's magnified. But the opposite reality is that the ungrateful person magnifies self. There is no thanksgiving in their heart because, because life is all about them, that they deserve whatever they've been given. They, they live to receive. Instead of, it is better to give than to receive. They have no desire to magnify the giver because they live for their glory. Simply put, they want to be great. See, that, that's... That's why living with, let's just put this on purely human terms, living with one another, being characterized by being overflowing with gratitude toward one another, it's theological. It's not just a good upbringing. It's not just common courtesies. There is something that happens. Our generosity with offering Thank yous, a gratitude heart, a grateful heart says something about how we view ourselves, doesn't it? So whether it's just thinking on purely human terms or more importantly before the Lord above, The desire to magnify self is at the heart of the ungrateful heart. And when we live that way, we don't don't magnify God to begin to seem as big as he truly is. We, We magnify ourselves and we make God little. It's like this. I was saving my sermon notes this morning to print them. And I typed in the title and I noticed, I read it. And I noticed I had little g on the God. Gratitude that magnifies God. And I thought, oh, that's a great illustration for what living with an unthankful heart before the Lord does. It, in a sense, it, 
it projects a little G God to the world around us. Not a big G God, but, but a grateful person. Is a person who recognizes God alone as the great giver of all things. There is a humility here that says, this is not about me, it's about him. And you know what the greatest gift the great giver can give us? Look at verse 29. Salvation. But I'm afflicted and in pain. Let your salvation, God, set me on high. Let the reality that I belong to you, you are my redeemer, you have redeemed me from the pits. Let that set me on high. Let that raise me above my affliction and my pain. Do you see that? And this is not, listen, this, this idea here that Thanksgiving magnifies God, it's, it's not disconnected from our evangelism, is it? In his book, The, the Patient Ferment of the Early Church, Alan Kreider talks about how the behavior of the early Christians said what they believed. He says it was, that is their behavior, it was an enactment of their message. And this was distinctive and intriguing to the Roman world around them. May I just submit, few things will set us apart, either individually or corporately as a church, in our individualistic, narcissistic, self-centered society where everybody does what they want to do. like a heart of thankfulness that looks outward. You want to have an impact on people at work? Just begin to express your gratitude. Somebody will notice. Somebody will go, wow, something different about Scott. I know what he's going through. God is magnified when we are grateful. A heart of thanksgiving toward God, and I would just submit as well, a heart of thanksgiving toward God will necessarily pour out horizontally toward one another. So, so if, 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 you, if you're not a very grateful person, don't, don't start with those around you. Start with God. A heart, genuine thanksgiving that flows from the heart magnifies God in our lives and to the world around us. Listen, do you want to grow in gratitude in good times and bad times? Do you, do you want to help those around you do the same? 
Do you want to, as it says in verse 32, uh, to, to, to cause others to be glad in the Lord, to be refreshed and revived in your own spirit? Do you want to be light in a dark world? Two things. Two things. How often do you talk about having a grateful heart? How often do you ask? When was the last time you just approached him and said, hey, do you, do you think I'm a grateful person? I want to challenge the community group leaders. In the next month, it's Christmas season, so this is a great topic. Have an intimate and honest community group discussion on thankfulness in your community group. Don't overlook that. Psalm 69 reminds us we can't overestimate how pleasing a heart of thankfulness is to the Lord. And you know what that means? That means we can't afford... We can't afford to underestimate the sinfulness of being unthankful. To do so is, like I said before, is to magnify ourselves and shrink God. This is a great book right here by Jerry Bridges. Respectable Sins, and the subtitle, I love it, Confronting the Sins That We Tolerate. And in his preface, preface he says this, This book, as the title announces, is about sin. Not the obvious sins of our culture, but the subtle sins of believers. And he goes on to say, the motivation for this book stems from a growing conviction that those of us whom I call conservative evangelicals may have become so preoccupied with some of the major sins of society around us that we have lost sight of the need to deal with our own more refined or subtle sins. It's true. It's true in my life. It's true in your life. It's true. And then he just goes. Anxiety, frustration, pride, selfishness, lack of self-control, impatience and irritability, anger, judgmentalism, envy. There's more. And then there's chapter 10 unthankfulness, unthankfulness, a subtle sin, a subtle sin that if we can embrace what David embraces here by the power of the Spirit at work in us, be able to turn that around through renewing our minds about gratitude and thankfulness and, and repenting for our unthankfulness and our lack of gratitude. And then by the power of God's spirit, begin to live more and more thankful. If David was here, he would say, oh, Sovereign Grace Church, how that would magnify the God of your salvation. Second, and most importantly, put on a heart of thankfulness by looking upward, as David did in verse 29, to the God of your salvation. This is where true thankfulness begins, by looking to your God who gave you Jesus so you could have forgiveness of sins 
the righteousness of Christ and a place being eternally kept for you in heaven one day. You want to grow in having a thankful heart? Well, begin with God who graciously gives you all things for your life and godliness. You want to grow in gratitude? Then begin with God who generously provides for your earthly needs. Romans 8 says, if he did not send his only son to take care of your greatest need, sin, how will he not then take care, provide for every need you have between that moment that you were saved and that moment you see Jesus face to face in glory and become as he is? Begin with the God who needs nothing from you but has given you every heavenly blessing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Begin with God who doesn't expect you to be great, but he expects you to be grateful because he has already made you great in Jesus Christ. Begin with God who has made it known right here in Psalm 69. And in other places, that a heart of thanksgiving is more pleasing to him than your sacrifices. You know, you ever just, what would honor the Lord in this? You ever just ask, what would honor the Lord in this situation? You know, sometimes we don't get the clear black and white answers. But this is one of those areas where God in his mercy and kindness has said, let me tell you how to magnify me. Many ways. But let me tell you one. Live. Live your life. Grateful for all that I've done for you. I I love this song that we sang and Maybe we can close with it. I don't know. I don't want to change your plans, worship team. Praise the king who bore my sin, took my place when I stood condemned. Oh, how good you've always been to me. I will sing of your mercies. And maybe we should, can we like just add lines to songs? I don't think we can. But I will sing of your mercy and I will magnify you by living life out of a grateful heart. If you are in our home, we have two messages hanging up that you cannot miss. There is a three-by-six sign at the end of our hall. So if you are ever at a home and you have to use the restroom, you're going to preach the gospel to yourself on the way to the restroom. It's three feet by six feet. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we might know the righteousness of God, the pure and unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we have another sign. We have another sign. It's smaller. It's a two-by-three sign. And it says there is always, and then a little bit bigger font, always, and then a little bit bigger font, always something to be thankful for. It's a nice little platitude, apart from 2 Corinthians 5.21. See, if you want to grow, there there is always something to be grateful for. 
even in your pain and affliction. But if you want to grow in gratitude, if you want to help those around you grow in gratitude, don't begin with nice platitudes or common courtesies. Begin with a big God who redeems and rejoices in his people, and that's you. It'll transform your thanksgivings from here on out. It'll make thanksgiving a holiday into a lifestyle. John Calvin on this text says, there cannot be a more powerful incitement to thanksgiving than the certain conviction that this religious service is highly pleasing to God. You want to know something, Christian, that is highly pleasing to God? Living out of a grateful heart toward him. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving.